Well, I learned a lot uh, from last week, the first time, you know, kind of taping the service uh, before an empty congregation. Uh, I watched the, the worship service just like you did on Sunday morning. And one thing I noticed is we have the camera up in the crow's nest up there taping, so it's kind of looking down, not like you're looking up at me. And as I'm sitting there watching myself, I said, oh my goodness, I have a receding hairline. <laughs> and, uh, but then, today, <laughs> I, I, I saw Steve Ackley down there and I thought, compared to him, I've got a head like, full of hair like Samson. <laughs> oh, I love you, Steve. I also learned uh, through this whole process that, you know, the Bible talks about how the law stirs up sin in our life. And it's amazing. I mean, I probably only go to one or two movies a year. Maybe I go out to eat, you know, every other week or, or, or so. But suddenly when the government and the law says we can't go out anymore, I mean, suddenly it's just like, you, you, don't you find yourself you just want to do these things? So once again, the Bible is uh, turned true. Then I had somebody send me a, a very humorous post. It said that we're supposed to be praying for our pastors, all the pastors that are taping their service, that their videos won't look like a Saddam Hussein interrogation video. You know, so, and hopefully mine uh, doesn't look like that. So anyway, we are going to be turning our attention back to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you remember last week, we kind of got an overview of the whole book, and and now we're going to begin digging in just a little bit deeper. Uh, If you have your Bibles there, I would encourage you to turn to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. While you're getting there, um, we do have on our webpage, we have the outline of the sermon. So you can go ahead and you can get that. You can print that off if, if you choose to follow along and you choose to take notes. Now, normally when we read the portion of Scripture, I have everybody stand in reverence to God's Word, and I'm not sure I can make you do that at home, but at the very least, I ask you at this point, in reverence to the Word of God as it's being read, don't multitask. You know, let's lean into the service. Um, you know, I, uh, last week I was very surprised uh, when I really focused and, you know, on the worship and the singing along and, and the word of God, that, that God did something in my heart. And I pray that he will do that as well uh, through this message. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets and hastens to its place. It rises there again, blowing toward the south and turning towards the north. The wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. That which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new? Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be for, for no excuse me, there will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. I the preacher 
have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under the sun. It is a grievous task which God has given to the son of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Well, I once read about a man who looked like he always had all of his life together. He lived on the top of the world. You know, he never seemed to have a down day. He came to work happy. When work was all done, he'd he'd leave in a good mood. One day at a coffee break, a friend of his, you know, talked to this guy and said, Hey, hey buddy, you know, now I know why you're always so happy. You know, you're always such in a cheery mood. You know, you've really got it made. So just yesterday, I was driving along, and I saw you and this beautiful young woman sitting in this romantic sidewalk cafe. You were sitting closely to her. You were listening to her every word, just, you know, focusing on her. Well, the guy leaned over, and he said, well, let me tell you the truth. He said, that lovely young woman is really my wife who was telling me that she was leaving me. And what looked like a sidewalk cafe was really what was left of our furniture thrown out on the street. We were being kicked out of our apartment. You see, if the truth were known, behind all of our smiles, behind all of our masks, there stands a list of problems, of worries we so try to cover up. And we come to church, we meet people out in the community, we go to family reunions, and, and we have all of these hidden behind, you know, the veneer that we want people to think our lives are. Well, if you remember last week, we were introduced to a man who decided he was going to throw caution to the wind. He was going to venture out into all areas of life to find the truth about life, to find purpose, meaning, reason in this life. (coughs) The man's name was Solomon. Remember, he was the third king in Israel. His father, David, had left a rather large estate to his care. David had also fought all the battles, and now his son enjoyed peace. For 40 years, Solomon reigned in peace. And instead of time and money being poured into the wartime machine, it was all this peacetime money. You know, all of it was available at his fingertips. And Solomon used that money to finance his pursuits. to to seek out this life. And one day after that journey was over, after he had pursued everything that was under the sun, Solomon sat down with a pen in hand, and God inspired him to write this journal to tell us the truth about life, about what he discovered. (coughs) Now I was speaking on Ecclesiastes, oh, probably close to 30 years ago, and I had a, a Christian man come up to me, uh, you know, after I had talked a little bit about this, and, and he said, I, I don't believe Solomon did everything that it says there in, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, he was the wisest man of all times. How could, how could he do this? Well, folks, I believe we all know there's a big difference between wisdom and obedience. Wisdom and obedience, they are totally separate issues. Each and every one of us has the wisdom to know that certain things are wrong, that I probably shouldn't do it, but yet we still find ourselves 
pursuing avenues of sin. Matter of fact, Solomon, you know, if, if you really want to consider his life, yes, he was the wisest man um, who had ever lived, you know, but, but again, remember how many wives Solomon took, how many foreign uh, wives he took, and he allowed their false worship. He, he built them their temples. Matter of fact, his life was so disappointing to God, so lived for this world, that finally it says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9, he says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Because of Solomon's life, because of his disobedience, the kingdom of Israel was was torn in two. And for hundreds of years, they lived in the midst of a civil war because, not because of his wisdom, but because of his lack of obedience. Solomon was wise, but he was not a man who was after God's heart. So in this journey, he he talks about the truth of the matter. It says in verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now in the Hebrew, when a word or a phrase is repeated, it's like giving it an exclamation mark. And I mean in just these, what, these, these ten words or so, you know, the word vanity is used five times. So it's like he's saying super vain, you know, completely empty. You know, he's like saying life appears to have substance But when you dig into it, you find there's nothing there. You know, it might seem warm and bright, but it's really cold. Again, we need to remember, like we talked about last week, this was perspective of under the sun or under heaven. You know, this is what life is like, the physical life when God is removed. When you only live life for the horizontal, you know, this physical life, and you never begin to look up vertical. Solomon asked a question in verse 3. He said, What advantage does man have in all his works, which he does under the sun? So the key word there, he's talking, what advantage is there, or what profit, depending on your your translation, what's the gain here? The original Hebrew word, it means that which is left over when the transaction is complete. You know, we might say it like today, that when the job is done, when you've paid all your employees, you've paid all the bills, you know, what's left? What do you, what do you have left? You know, we'd say when, you, when you've come to the end of the, your, your life, when your time is up, when you stand before your creator and you evaluate the value of your life, everything that you have done, you know, what is it that you have left in all that you have worked for? What does it matter when you come to the end of your life and you stand before an almighty God. Well, if your only focus in life is under the sun, the physical, the horizontal, if you have never gone above the sun, if you've never gone to God, then the answer is vanity. You have nothing left. Zilch, zero, meaningless. I mean, what's the purpose of your marriage? 
When, when, when ultimately, you know, whether 40, 50, 60 years you've been married, whether it was a good marriage, whether it was a bad marriage, just suddenly you stand before God. What does that matter if God has been left out of it? What was the whole purpose of it? What was the, the purpose of pursuing that education, of getting that bachelor's degree or, or a master's or, or a Ph.D.? Suddenly you stand before a God that is all knowledge, and your knowledge means nothing. What was the matter or, or the purpose of, of those extra hours that you put into work and that extra money that you got and that extra, you know, that you put in to be able to get a house and, and get a few toys? And now suddenly you stand before God, and there is nothing left. Someone once said, our problem is that we worship our work and we play at our worship and we've got everything followed up. You see, we, we find ourselves focusing so much on under-the-sun life. And Solomon paints a vivid picture of what life under the sun is really all about. Now, as we read what he's going to describe here, um, you know, in many ways, we're going to be able to identify, it to identify with it today. Maybe you know, perhaps to the degree that Solomon has gone, but maybe not to that degree. But there are areas in our life that you know, we have just given so much time, energy to, that in the end, are emptiness. So he gives us some examples of futility. It's kind of interesting, in verses 4 through 7, he's actually using a type of a, a Hebrew poetry, a, a type of a symbolism to, you know, express his point. <coughs> Excuse me, he starts in verse 4. He says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now think about this. Every single day, there is born a future doctor or lawyer or mechanic or a farmer or, or a movie star or a sports hero. And every single day, there dies a doctor, a lawyer, a movie star, a mechanic, a a farmer, whatever it might be. Generation goes, generation comes, but the earth just, the earth remains forever. There's this endless cycle to life. Evil men are born into this world, evil men die in this world. Good men are born into this world every day. Good men die out of this world every day. Generations come, generations go. Man is born into this endless vanity. And the same God that placed us in this vanity, I want to tell you, uh, because, you know, this, this gets really doomsday here. But by the end, this, the same God that has placed us here, and because of our sin, all this has become vanity, he gives us hope. He gives us purpose. And we're going to look at that when we get to the very end. So, so you know, keep, keep a marker there, uh, because this is going to get worse before it gets any better. Solomon continues his, his proof of the vanity of life. And again, it goes deeper and more sorrowful. This time he, he goes to nature in verse 5. He says, also the sun rises and the sun sets, and it hastens to its place, and it rises there again. I mean, you're supposed to feel the monotony that is written in Solomon's words. You know, the sun rises, the sun sets, and poop, it's right back at the same spot and goes back to the same spot and over and over and over again. You know, six, 8,000 years that the earth's been here. Endlessly, the sun continues to do it day after day after day. 24 hours, and it just ends up in the same place all the time. How about the wind? It says, blowing towards the south and turning towards the north. The wind continues swirling along, 
and on a circular courses, the wind returns. I mean, its cycle is endless. It never changes, and it kind of always ends up in the same spot. What about the rivers? Verse 7, all the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the river flows, there they flow again. I mean, rivers flow into the oceans, into the seas, but they never get filled up. Well, do you know why that is? That's because the, the sun evaporates enormous quantities of water in the oceans and, and in the large lakes and, and in the seas. As that moist air cools, it goes into the air, it forms clouds. Those clouds blow inward and in, in, inland, and they drop the rain. Those rains go into streams that go into rivers. Those rivers go back into the ocean. It evaporates again. It goes on this endless cycle that, that, that he's talking about. On and on it goes. This is poetic language. You know, the endless cycle, the, the, the monotony he's trying to get here. I mean, do, does your life sometimes feel like that? Well, the truth is, it, if it does, it's because it is. Life under the sun is never full enough. It says in verse 8 through 10, All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, See this? It is new. Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. Now he's talking about deep, meaningful type things. And we have all sorts of new creations all the time. But, but let's be honest here. Fifty years ago, you know, your kids would be coming to you and they, you know, we're bored, we've got nothing to do. And with all these inventions that we have, all the new toys and the new games and all the technology, my guess is if your parents, at some point your kids came today, they were bored. You know, they had nothing to do. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing new in the meaning and, and, and in the fullness. And after summarizing the basic makeup of life, in verse 12, Solomon says that he, he set off for a journey into life and to try to find purpose. Now, we need to understand the extent that he went in this journey. In verse 13, he said, And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under the sun. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Now, there's a real important statement that he makes there. He said, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom. In other words, he had the wisdom to, to you know, to, to really understand life and understand the ends of life and all the things. And he had, the, you know, the God-inspired honesty to be able to, to, to put it here. But there's a couple words there, aside from that word about the wisdom that he, he went about this to, to understand all these things. He said he, he sought to, he said to study or to seek. Um, it means to search out or it means to explore. Um, you know, not just to examine the bark and the leaves and the branches, but literally Solomon dug deep to uncover the roots. What was under the surface? You see, that's a lot of our problems because a lot of our problems is we think and escape. We see things on the external, on the outside. You know, we might see the fruit of something, but we don't see down beneath it. We don't see the, the, the hidden costs, you know, everything that is hidden underneath. underneath. But, but Solomon was able to. 
He said he, he studied. You know, he, he searched it out. And then he said he, he went below the surface and to those roots. Then he said, I explored them. In other words, he followed everything, you know, every single root to, to its very end. Literally, he examined it from, from all sides. You know, he didn't just note the various angles, but he dissected them. You know, we'd say he went whole hog into everything that he did. If it was laughter and entertainment, he laughed himself into hysteria. All types of laughter, one-liners, dirty humor, witty. It didn't matter, he, you know. He, he went all in to find out, you know, if that was me, entertainment, is, is that why we're here? You know, to just be able to laugh? If it was sex, he experienced every form that was imaginable, proper forms, every perversion that was out there. If it was substance abuse, you know, he had the social drinking, and he, he also drank himself into a stupor. <coughs> this man stopped at nothing to explore life. Now, there's a saying, that, and probably most of, her, most of us have heard of it, it says that you don't have to stick your head into a garbage can to know it stinks. Well, Solomon threw that saying out. He didn't just stick his head in. He stuck his whole body in. You know, totally submerged himself in the garbage can. Now we need to consider the conclusion of the matter. And we need to mark these conclusions. Whenever we come to them at a, a section where Solomon builds it up in the, the despair of man, the vanity of man, and, and then he gives us some, some wisdom. He gives us that truth here. And he's about to do that. He first of all says in verse 13, And I set my mind, he says, to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done, done, done under the sun. Here's the wisdom. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. If you have a King James, it says it is sore travail. You know, a, a heavy burden is how he described it. Verse 14, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. It's a striving after a wind, or some translations, it's just like chasing after the wind. It's, it's an empty dream. You know, you, you can feel some of the effects, but you can never catch it. Verse 18, he says, Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Much grief, increased sorrow, pain. And Solomon is pleading with us. He says, I've been there. You don't have to, to believe the philosophy of a man, or, or this isn't just somebody's opinion. He's saying, you need to believe the experience that I had. I searched these things out. He never lost his wisdom. He never lost his ability to really analyze that was, what was happening, whether or not it was fulfilling him or gave purpose or, or it had any meaning whatsoever. He never lost that. He said, I tried it all. Everything we might ever thought to, to set our minds to. And his conclusion to life under the sun, the physical life, is that it's vanity, it's empty. The God-inspired conclusion of this is that it comes to nothing. At the end of our life, what is it going to matter? So when you have a question about fixing a car, you go to a mechanic. If you have a question about music, you go to somebody who, who you know, sings and plays. 
When I have a question about preaching, you know, I go to someone who has preached for many years. Well, if you have any question about the destination of some pursuit that you might have on this earth, some physical pursuit, and where ultimately it is going to lead you, you don't have to to go to the very end and find out what Solomon... He says, let me tell you ahead of time. Let me save you some pain. Let me save you some time and some energy. Just go to the man who lived it all. And in his wisdom, he gave this conclusion. He said, life without God, life under the sun, is meaningless. There's no purpose to it. In the end, it's not going to matter. You know, it might appear to to have some fruit. It might be a temporary, you know, sugar high for us. But in the end, you ultimately come down, and in the end, you have nothing. Solomon's whole point in chapter 1 is to ask us the question of where are we looking for happiness? Where are we looking for joy? Where are you looking to get purpose in your life? Where can you find significance that this, this life, what we're doing down here, that it matters. Are you going to find it in a marriage? Are you going to find it in a job? Or in some toy that you have? Or some title that you've aspired to? Or some relationship in your life? This life here has never been intended to bring you fulfillment. The endless cycle of the endless pursuit are meant to stir this yearning for something more. There's got to be, be something lasting. It's supposed to bring us to an emptiness. It's supposed to be a, bring us to a realization that, you know, in the end, this isn't going to matter when we stand before God. And I am to push through all these false hopes and these false promises and the, the temporary highs of this life. And I'm supposed to ultimately look above the sun Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Get it in perspective. Get your priorities right. Seek God while you're young, he said. That's the conclusion of the matter. You know, when you have your strength, don't wait until the end. Don't give, give God the coffee grounds of your life. Give him the best of your life because he brings meaning and purpose. Outside of Jesus Christ, be in the focus of our jobs and, and our marriage and, and even the thankfulness of the entertainment and the things that we have in our life. Outside of that, nothing will fill that void, that yearning that we have that is only to be intended to be filled by God. So the question Solomon is, is driving us to is where are our eyes looking? Where are our ears listening today? What do, where do we want to find meaning and purpose? I read a parable once about an Indian and his friend. They were walking in downtown New York City. And suddenly the Indian just stops and he exclaims, wait. He says, I hear a cricket. His friend says, a cricket? In downtown New York? It's impossible. You can't hear a cricket. I mean, there's traffic all over. The subway is going. Brakes are screeching. People are honking their horn. Cash registers are are, are clinking, people are yelling at one another. But the Indian insisted, he says, I, I hear a cricket. And he took his friend by the arm and he kind of led him a little ways down the street. 
And he went to this large cement plant where a tree was growing. And he kind of dug a little bit in the moss, and, and sure enough, there he found it, a cricket. His friend said, how in the world did you do that? Well, his Indian friend said, well, it's all in what your ears are tuned to. And then he reached into his pocket, and he, he pulled out a pocket full of change, quarters, nickels, dimes, and he kind of held them up, and he dropped them on the cement. And as they hit the cement, you know, and they made the noise, he said, all around them, people stopped, and people looked. You see, it all depends on what you are tuned to. Friends, there is no life in a single one of those coins. There is no life in that promotion. There is no life in that new car, that new relationship, that new job. True happiness in our life comes above the sun. And his name is Jesus Christ. He wants to become the Lord. He wants to become the master of your life. But first we need to be tuned into him. Friends, have you seen your life in, in Solomon's conclusion here? I mean, have you felt the same frustration? Well, you're supposed to. Because the answer to that is Jesus Christ. We need to get our focus on Jesus Christ. You know, when we have Christ in our life, when he is our, our purpose, our meaning, suddenly marriage and work and job and entertainment, anything that we have here under the sun, suddenly becomes, it, ha it becomes alive. It has meaning. It, it, it has purpose. But it is never the end. It is never what we are living for. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 23. Paul is speaking, he says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's looking past this life. He's looking to heaven. He's looking to eternity above the sun. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, all of nature, you know, quakes anticipating that moment when God will say, this is enough, and all things will be made new. You see, creation was subject to futility, it says in verse 20. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And not only this, in other words, not only does creation groan, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And not until we have that in perspective, not until we have that in clear focus that our life is yet to come in Jesus Christ we're to live it. That suddenly this life at all can begin to make sense and have purpose. Well, there are two things that you need to do here. Number one, I ask you to search your heart. You know, it's not just enough to be religious and say, I want God. God the Father has made a way for us to become one of his children. And he did this by sending his son to this earth to live and ultimately to die 
and to pay a sacrifice, a debt for your sin and for my sin. He offers us forgiveness. And not until you open your heart and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you cry out to him that you're giving up on, on your, your pursuits, this, this under-the-sun life, that you see things as God sees them. Until you're ready to say that and acknowledge sin as he sees it, and your inability to save yourself, until you cry out to God for him to save you, when you do that, you will be saved. You'll become a child of his. And then, Christian, the second thing then I want to emphasize is we need to tune him in. We need to seek him. We need to explore him. Know your Savior. Know his, his voice in your life. The tragedy of Solomon is all the wisdom in the world did not give him purpose. It did not give him meaning. And not until the end of his life did God give him the inspired conclusion that it is only found above the sun in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I ask you to open our hearts as only you can and speak to us. You know where the need is. You know who is hearing this, who, who has not yet come to you to be their Lord and Savior and ask your forgiveness. So speak to their heart. And then, Father, for all, those of us who know you, I know Satan is constantly just that, 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 that current pushing against our life, pushing us into sin, promising so much but delivering so little. Help us to tune it out. Help us to tune you in, Father. I thank you for your word, for our ability to come to you in prayer, for the Holy Spirit that you put within a child's heart, my heart, Lord, that allows me this relationship and help me find purpose in why you have me here, why you have me at my workplace, why you have me in my marriage, the kids I have, whatever it might be, Lord. You give meaning and purpose to this life, and I thank you for that. And we look, Father, forward to that life to come when we will stand before you face to face love you, Lord. Help us this week to live faithful to you. In thy son's name we pray. Amen.
You know, I do want to let you know that, you know, if, if God's word is speaking to your heart there, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, I, I would encourage you to reach out to me, reach out to maybe one of our the elders, our, our deacons within the church. We'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to rejoice with you at what God has done. Or if there are any other spiritual needs that you have, if, if, if God is just stirring within your heart, again, I know we, we, we aren't meeting face-to-face, but, but I would just encourage you to reach out and give me a call. I would love to talk with you, you know, uh, point you to God's word through whatever it is that you're going through. Thank you and God bless.